Welcome to Cybersecurity Unplugged, the cyber theory podcast where we explore issues that matter in the world of cybersecurity. Good day, everyone. I'm Steve King, the Director of Cybersecurity Advisory Services here at Cyber Theory. Today's episode will explore the need for what many of us consider long overdue, and that's a, a new CISO playbook with me to explore this topic is Haim Mazel, the CISO at Kanji, who is the market leader in Apple device management and security, where he oversees the product engineering infrastructure, data and information security organizations. Before Kanji, Haim built engineering first security programs at three of the highest valued multi-billion dollar SaaS startups. Uh, according to Haim, the job of a CISO is to ensure that there are controls and processes in place to help mitigate risk to the organization. And current global instability is up that risk anti ante for all organizations. Question is whether or not we're doing a good enough job. And I think the answer seems obvious, at least to me. So, so welcome, Haim. I'm glad you could join us today. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Steve. Uh, happy to be here. Sure. Let's talk uh, Kanji. Your company manages Apple endpoint devices that typically make up over half of an enterprise's attack surface. Tell our listeners why this is important, how you go about it. Yeah, absolutely. Kanji is uh, an Apple device management platform uh, that really focuses on automation and orchestration and being able to enable IT and security teams to effectively manage their fleet and have detailed insights around some of the risks that might be presented uh, across that fleet. So also, uh, one of the main things that we focus on is being able to go ahead and help organizations have seamless ease of deployments across global landscape. So really being able to focus on uh, ease of use and being able to provide detailed insights that better inform uh, teams on how to prioritize their success. You know, we've always thought, or at least I've been around long enough to have always thought of Apple as a security first company and a company that whose products uh, you don't have to worry about from a security point of view. And here we've got a whole you know, ecosystem and infrastructure and in and, and your entire company that's dependent upon the lack of security that the Apple product brings to a attack surface. From your point of view, is that a growing problem? Yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree that Apple is a, a, a security first organization, but I think as the market share uh, continues to increase for Apple devices across the enterprise, uh, we're seeing a large increase in the level of malware or ransomware or general overall, you know, attack playbooks that are written for this ecosystem. So there's been some interesting stats uh, across the increase of Apple devices in the enterprise. I think it's like last year was a 34% increase on uh, privately owned companies. And I think also Fortune 500 companies, you know, we saw somewhere uh, in excess of, of 20% increase is having a majority or 51%, you know, Apple footprint as far as devices. So I think as that market share continues to increase, some of the problems uh, are going to continue to increase as well. So being proactive and making sure uh, that we stay ahead of the trend and we're providing, you know, administrators, IT professionals, security professionals with the detailed insights that they need to be able to secure their fleet uh, is something that Conchie feels extremely passionate about. 
Yeah, and I guess the turning point, uh, if there was one, came when uh, we all ended up with these massive computing devices that we held in our hand that came from Apple called iPhones. And and the, suddenly we have a integration problem that we didn't have prior to that. So it, I guess depending upon where you're standing, it shouldn't be surprising. But nonetheless, I, when you think of Apple, I've always thought of it as, uh, as you said, security first. It appears from, you know, looking at Kanji that you guys are... Uh, kind of focused around a risk register or risk framework where CISOs can identify and prioritize threats and then kind of outline the probability of their ability to affect the organization and and then present kind of an overall potential impact. Can you tell us a little bit about how that framework works and how your customers go about managing it? Yeah, so I think Kanji first, as far as device management. So we essentially allow for uh, one-touch deployments of devices across organizations. And we have some interesting unique features, things like blueprints, which say like business units can have, you know, uh, defined templates of software and uh, usability features and things that are pre-enabled on their devices, as well as library items, which are, you know, pre-configured items that we can go ahead and deploy across a, a set of assets or blueprints. And this gives us uh, a certain uh, uniqueness and power that allows us to create a lot of visibility across a lot of very unique segments of assets in an organization. So what that means is IT teams, security teams, administrators in general can now have detailed insights around certain segments uh, of their business, around certain end users within their business, and be able effectively uh, to identify risk and calculate that risk and be able to have a mechanism to better inform their risk register uh, to allow them to make effective decisions about uh, the order of operation in which they address risk. So we have uh, a large amount of device data and telemetry across um, all of the assets and being able to funnel those back to our end users, whether that is the uh, IT team, security team, uh, or administrator uh, is a very powerful tool to allow them to be able to have detailed insight into uh, the day-to-day risk across a small segment of their fleet or across larger segments of their fleet uh, and effectively then go uh, you know, and work with their other stakeholders within the business to show a downtrend in that risk or to, to highlight it appropriately. So we've done a lot of things as far as uh, compliance uh, to be able to you know, relate these back to uh, certain industry standards to be able to make them consumable for these teams and for the end users. But I really think that the power here is the ease of use, the automation, the orchestration in which we deploy and manage devices, and then effectively those data sets that allow uh, teams to stay ahead of the curve as far as addressing risk for their organization. Yeah. You also claim that that register makes it easy for administrators to stay up to date on compliance uh, regulations and standards and so forth. And that's, you know, GDPR, ISO 2701, 001, BCI, DSS, et cetera, that, you know, ensure security and processing integrity and privacy and all the rest of that. How exactly does that work? And how much of that process is automated, would you say, in the 
not too distant past, it was very difficult to get folks to deploy risk registers because so much of it was manual. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think the automation portion of Kanji is like the compelling part here. It's like the backbone of everything we do. Um, and so if you can go ahead and set controls around configuration, around software, around deployments to your organization, to across various business units within your organization, you can effectively uh, enforce uh, requirements that your organization might have uh, to fit some of these global standards. So by having a way to be able to uh, automate, you know, audit and verify post-implementation, that the controls that have been put in place at a business unit level, at an organization level, are in fact uh, in place and working, and there isn't variance, I think is the key to being able to adhere to a lot of compliance frameworks and to be able to provide that level of insight and peace of mind to the end users who are going ahead and deploying Kanji on behalf of their organizations. So the fact that we can have uniform controls deployed at a multitude of levels that can check all of the check boxes that may be required, I think is something that, you know, historically organizations have not had. So being able to do that with a tool like Kanji uh, is something that that I'm very excited about as an end user myself and uh, that our customers are very excited about as well. Yeah, speaking of customers, can you characterize kind of like what your average customer looks like just to give our audience a little context here because i'm concerned that folks listen to this and think oh this is great if you're bank of america or somebody huge that has literally hundreds of thousands of iphones wandering around how much does this apply to small business operations and and uh, companies that have you know 50 to 100 employees I think the answer is yes. Is it a great solution for Bank of America's? Yes. Is it a great solution for a seed, you know, technology startup? Yes. I think, you know, the the underlying commonality that Kanji has as far as its customer base are modern organizations who deploy and rely on Mac OS laptops to support uh, their employees' productivity and success within their roles. That's across the gamut. So yes, Fortune 500 organizations, absolutely. Series D, $8 billion, you know, valued uh, SaaS companies, uh, you know, with 2000 devices, the answer is, is yes. I think the commonality is organizations that want an easy and better way to be able to manage their Apple devices for their end users, uh, and want to do so in a productivity-oriented mindset, right? We provide a tool for teams uh, to have ease of use and to be successful uh, without creating a lot of bloat and overhead while providing a tremendous uh, return on investment. Yeah. And increasingly, you know, from my point of view anyway, that handheld uh, mega computer, which is kind of the way I think of an iPhone, is going to continue to increase the number of shadow IT operations we have throughout all companies, big or small. And as that happens, federal regulations, and we've seen so much of this now with the more aggressive Biden administration's CISA operations in terms of recommendations and executive orders and so forth, that these government regulations will start to look for ways to impose new standards on platform access 
how do you guys leverage existing controls to make sure that companies are in compliance? Yeah, I think that that's the incredible part about Kanji is that uh, allowing you know your your organization and your company to effectively be able to manage assets within your organization and also be able to create or integrate with safeguards to prevent you know any other you know devices or or, or shadow IT things from existing uh, within those assets. So that's one of you know the incredible things that we have. So with manage with managed software on managed devices. And with the implementation of uniformity and controls across a fleet, right, this should give a significant uh, peace of mind to the business, uh, to the security team, to the IT team around, you know, the policies that they're enforcing to be able to adhere uh, to controls like this. Also, I think it's a layered approach, you know, using other, you know, brand leading tools, things like Okta for single sign-on and for identity and access management in conjunction with Kanji for the device management against, you know, a myriad of other tooling things, you know, zero trust uh, is a big buzzword these days, but really having some kind of certificate authentication to uh, an organization as far as, you know, software applications and backend business services, I think is a key strategy across the board to be able to ensure and safeguard that you're meeting uh, all of those controls. Yeah, I'm sure that Kanji would love to have a similar position as an industry standard here. And we know that, you know, safe access is obviously a big deal, but but so is network visibility. That includes the ability to, you know, control the flow of traffic and requests to a given company and all of its assets. How does how do you guys help with contextualizing those traffic patterns? and defending against interference, in particular at a nation state level, which we're seeing more and more of that level of interference going on these days. You know, something that I I touched on just a little bit before, because devices make up such a significant portion, you know, of the the threat landscape for an organization uh, and the amount of data that comes off of devices and the amount of data that Kanji leverages uh, in management of those devices, using that in correlation with some other data sets that a company or organization might see is very, very, very powerful. So just an example, you know, if organizations have edge traffic and they're seeing certain behavior patterns or traffic that that might be alarming, having the ability to cross-correlate that against alerts or data sets that you have being generated off of your devices to validate assumptions or to be able to invalidate assumptions uh, is an extremely powerful uh, tool. Another big part of organizations is their their cloud posture. So being able to look at your cloud-based assets, being able to look at those data sets, and then being able, again, to leverage that data against what you have going on your actual device data, your end user data, to be able you know, to provide any additional insight to activity patterns or anomalous activity, I think is something that is very much needed and, and demanded by most security organizations today. Looking at things uh, in silos is no longer uh, an effective practice or, or game plan. Having those robust data sets that you can go ahead and really be able to leverage across the entirety of your organization, and entirety of your, your threat landscape uh, is something that organizations and security operations teams are demanding to be successful. So I'm very excited that Kanji does have that robust level of telemetry 
that works really good for IT professionals and admins to be able to troubleshoot, as well as security teams to have the detailed information insight that they need to be able to track any potential threats across an organization. Based on what we've talked about, you certainly have the data. So that's terrific. And I think, you know, as we look out into the future, we're going to see more of these sort of backbone level attack attempts, ISP and uptime that affect availability and continuity and networks. It would seem that this will naturally extend to all the major cloud providers and and other internet resources. And, you know, bad actors, you know, tend to focus on resources that allow folks to continuously share information, including services tied to the economy. How do we help prevent cyber attacks against critical infrastructure systems like those driving, you know, power generation or electricity production? I think this is extremely uh, difficult because as motives switch and change, obviously, you know, the way that we go ahead and approach these scenarios have to change as well. Uh, When things no longer become monetarily incentivized and now they have geopolitical ramifications, I really think that there has to be a strong collaboration, you know, with the the federal government to be able to ensure uh, that we have a baseline framework that we're going ahead and applying to these segments. Because unfortunately, a lot of our critical infrastructure and the way that it's actively managed is severely outdated and general hygiene practices in a lot of these cases uh, has not been performed. So coming up with a baseline and being able to identify what controls have to be put in place uh, at, a, at a bare minimum level. And then also, I think, you know, second to that, it's how can organizations also be successful with commerce uh, admit some of these emerging attacks and threats? And how can they leverage, you know, a technology stack that would provide for redundancy and continuity in the event that a major segment of, you know, the internet or uh, service providers were no longer, you know, available. And so I think most organizations have to take into account that having, you know, a sole provider for a lot of their major offerings is uh, not a sustainable game plan at this point. And thinking about um, how to create a layered approach to be able to have backups and failovers uh, in the event of major catastrophe. You know, I think that we're, we're living in the golden age of, of SaaS right now. So it's, it's really is there's multiple providers uh, in every space and being able uh, to, to leverage that combined technology stack might give some solace, uh, you know, to, to the business and stakeholders uh, as well. But I really think a general framework for how we manage this key infrastructure, how we manage our, our overall power, energy, and core service of internet backbone, I think um, there, there does have to be some baseline standard and unification uh, and watching the federal government continue to drive this through the Biden administration, I think is something that's necessary and, and, and has to happen. Yeah. Uh, however, the folks at NIST would tell you we've been at this for years and no one pays attention to us. There, there are tons of frameworks out there. There are tons of standards. We've addressed all of these issues. and. As long as the executive orders continue to, quote, recommend versus Hmm. mandate these changes. Uh, And again, I mean, I'm not referring to direct DOD contractor status, but rather subs Hmm. and subs to the subs. And then to, you know, the commercial infrastructure as a 
as a generalized whole, it's hard to envision much changing. Uh, it seems to me, and the more that you know, we do these podcasts and talk to folks like yourself, it seems to me that every week it becomes more complicated. It becomes more complex. We keep upping the ante on the number of elements that we keep adding into the equation and the calculus, you know, that it's gotten to the point where it's almost impossible to manage all of that. So I guess as a, you put your CISO hat on for a minute or, you know, however you want to view it, you're, you're even a, from a, pro, I guess, from a product centric CISO view, what are your thoughts about how, how do we get out of this? How do we stop the proliferation of complexity, uh, and you, and you mentioned it earlier that you know we can't even get basic hygiene together or down. We don't have the resources. We don't know what to do, even though it's all published. There seems to be a real gap between the current population of skilled security practitioners and the task at hand. Yeah, no, absolutely. I do think that, um, again, in large organizations, and let's just even say, you know, Fortune 100 industrial, because they've existed for so long, and there's so much sprawl, and there's so many contractors, and there's so many acquisitions, and it's a patchwork of, of technologies that have led to this combined success over a period of time, it creates a large series of cracks, right? There is a lot of risk in the uh, ability to manage such a large portfolio of risk over time when there was discrepancies, disparities, and there wasn't you know, any uniformity along the way is an increasingly difficult problem to solve. But I also do believe in the free market as well. And Unfortunately, if these organizations don't change and they don't prioritize hygiene, they don't prioritize consolidation of technologies and platforms, they will be compromised and they will have breaches. And that will effectively lead to, unfortunately, them becoming uh, insolvent like or, or having a major you know, loss in, in their value, right? And if you lose consumer confidence, even you know, at, at this level, Obviously, those are large ramifications. That's what's driving organizations as a whole to prioritize security first. I'd love to say that, hey, it's strong recommendations from the federal government or executive orders, but the real driver for prioritization in business uh, is the long-term success of the business. And as long as there's huge fiscal ramifications and impacts that are being felt uh, across the board by companies that are associated with breaches or who have had significant material impact by breaches, that is going to be the only driver for prioritization uh, to occur and to take place. And that's really what's pushing it to the forefront of every CEO's mind. Like these are conversations that are happening in boardrooms continuously now. Security has a place at the table because of the financial impact that presents itself in the event that there's a loss in consumer confidence by breach. Unfortunately, with some of these you know, older, long-standing, major uh, industrial institutions within our organization, things take a lot longer to transform, right? Things don't happen overnight uh, and there is a slow progress. But, you know, again, from speaking with my peers in the industry and from knowing people who are, are definitely a part of addressing some of these larger problems, 
there is momentum, there is active prioritization, there is active funding. And I think that's really the only way out of it. The only way out of it is like, um, hey, we know that this provides significant risk to the business at a business level. And so therefore, we're making the appropriate prioritizations and giving the appropriate budgets to be able to actively make improvements over a period of time. Again, we've seen this happen across financial industries. We've seen this happen across technology. And so we're going to see it happen at the industrial level as well. Yeah, I hear you. I don't think it's surprising that the tightest organizations on the planet from a security point of view are banks. It's never, you know, in my opinion, these issues have never been a budgetary issue because if we look at it from an enterprise risk management point of view, all we're doing is trying to figure out how to transfer that risk as part of our normal job as a as a board director. And it doesn't make any difference to us whether we buy insurance or whether we accept it that, you know, I mean, $40 million is like not a big deal, right? To a multi-billion dollar company, it's like coffee money. So, you know, really who cares, right? I mean, if we get breached, we get breached, it doesn't matter, let's move on. What does matter, however, is the fact that I don't have a get out of jail free card and that there may be consequences on a personal liability point of view from my position as a board member. Until that happens, I just don't see how we're going to have the kind of leverage required to get anybody to affect any meaningful change. Do you have any thoughts about that? I do think that uh, you know we have seen significant change even in the last ten years with, without having that. And I do agree that it is you know some organizations accept and manage risk in different ways, whether that is liability insurance or you know whether that is accepting that risk. But we've seen a huge amount of momentum as far as prioritization for security as a whole, security becoming, you know, a, a, a first class citizen, uh, you know, within businesses. And then also, you know, being a topic that's, you know, front and center at board meetings. So even though it's been slow coming, I, I do think we can lie about the numbers, but the numbers don't lie and significant material impact to a business based on loss of consumer confidence is a very, very real thing, something that in cybersecurity insurance uh, cannot buy your way out of. So although I am optimistic that things are getting better, I do think that we do have a a large room for improvement going forward. (laughs) That's great. I appreciate your optimism and uh, positivity, Haim. And I also appreciate you taking the time today to sit down with us and, and talk through some of these issues and and in particular, share your view about the kind of future state here and where we're heading. So, so thank you for joining us and congratulations for your success here at Kanji. I hope you uh, continue to have more of the same. Thank you so much, Steve. Really appreciate it. Uh, great being here today. Thanks. Take care. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cybersecurity Unplugged. You can connect with us on LinkedIn or Facebook at CyberTheory or send us an email at social at cybertheory.io. For more information about the podcast, visit cybertheory.io forward slash podcast. Until next week, thanks again.